Romans chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be on the screen behind me, but go ahead and follow along if you do. Romans chapter 3, we'll be starting in verse 21. As was mentioned already, our, our pastor, Pastor Pat, is gone in Australia, ministering over there. Uh, my name is Brad, I'm the student ministries pastor here at the church. And uh, speaking of, of students, the other day I, I took our youth staff of adult leaders on a youth retreat, or a retreat, not a youth retreat, but a, st- a student leader retreat to train them on talking about how do we be better leaders for this fall, encouraging them from the word and spending time in prayer together and just doing some team building along the way. And as I prepared to get ready for this trip, I'm here at the church and I'm setting out all the food. I'm getting, I'm getting the vans out of the garage to load up with our team. I'm getting my stuff packed. I have my sleeping bag and my pillow. And it was one of those days where I felt like, man, everything is working out just right. I had everything placed in order. I loaded it all up in the car. And I had this intention of when we get to the camp that is an hour away, I'm going to have us all sit down in a circle around a cozy fire that I had built, and we were going to listen to a message about how we could be better youth leaders from the Word of God. And it was, it was a perfect scene. Everything was coming together perfectly. When we got in the van, we drove there. We arrive at the camp. I see the fire. They had already made it before we got there, and I'm getting the chairs in line. Our youth leaders were all loading in, unpacking for the night. And then I go to set up the computer to show this video that was going to be this big thing that was going to spark us into great conversation of being youth leaders. And I go to grab my bag, and I had forgotten my bag at church. And we were an hour away. I was like, oh no. The one thing that I needed, everything else was there, but the most important thing I did not have. You've been there before, right? Maybe it's your charger you left at home when you went on a trip. Maybe it was your wallet or parents. You realize that later at night you're on a trip with your kids, you're digging through the diaper bag, and you're like, oh no, I forgot the passy. Right? You've got to go pick one up, and this is going to be a long night, right? But what we are talking about this morning is the table at the banquet, You can have the band there, the chairs, the food, but without the table, nothing else really matters. This is the egg on the McMuffin, the bride at the wedding, the heart of the body. Everything is included in this and what we're talking about this morning. And if you miss this, although you might have everything else, you've missed the whole thing. Let's see what that is. Verse 21 of chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. Do we then overthrow the law by faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of God. Let's thank him for it and ask his blessing on it. God, we thank you for your word. We thank that you give it to us to know, to be able to understand what the most important thing in life is. That one thing that if we miss it, we miss everything, God. God, I pray that your spirit this morning would make very clear to hearts your truth. That you would open minds and hearts to understand the gospel That we would then, as we understand it, if we don't know it, to receive it. And if we already have, to live with such gratitude because of the grace that has been shown to us. We thank you for Jesus, and it's his name we pray. Amen. So Paul has laid out the verdict that has come down from the judge. This is he's been talking about for the last three chapters. And the verdict has come down guilty. That is that man is guilty. Instead of worshiping the creator, we've set out to worship the created things. Instead of finding joy and worshiping God himself, we want to worship his stuff rather than him. And as we've seen that none of us are good, we can't do anything to be made right with God. It's not our good doing, it's not being Jewish, it's not our upbringing, or being religious, or even keeping the law. Because as we looked when we closed out last week in verse 20, we've seen that the law is like a mirror. And when we hold it up in front of ourselves, it shows us who we really are. It shows us that we're sinful, that we're dirty, that we're in need of desperate rescue from a Savior. But the law itself, just like a mirror, does nothing to remedy the situation. And so this is the question. If the law can't justify us, make us right in God's sight, then what are we to do? Well, Paul starts out with this first two words. He says, but now. But now, what the law could not do, the righteousness of God has been made known or revealed apart from the law. A way has been made to be right with God. And this is the ultimate question. How do I stand before a holy God? How am I to be made right with him? This is the computer bag. This is the table at the banquet. This is everything right here that you need. Miss this and you've missed the whole thing. And so this passage is telling us how do we find favor with God? How are we made right with him with the whole 
portion of the book of Romans is devoted to how do we make ourselves not guilty or how does God make us not guilty. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning. How am I made right with God? And for those of you that have been, this, this epistle is written to believers. And Paul says, I'm excited to preach the gospel to you. So this isn't just a message for unbelievers, but for believers to be strengthened and to glory in Christ when you hear about being made right with God. Well, first you have to know where you've been and how you've missed it. So number one here is we've all missed it and we've looked in the wrong places to find it. We all desire to be justified, right? I mean, not just in a a sense before God, but in our very own lives. We want our lives to matter. We want people to notice what we're doing. We want to validate our existence. We want someone to come up and say, hey, you're doing a good job in life. They might not say it quite like that, but ultimately, that's what we all desire, So I want somebody to notice my work. I want someone to uh, say that I'm doing well as a parent. And we ultimately want to look back on our lives and say, my life was worth something. My life amounted to something. That's the desire of every human heart, is it not? And this desire to make our lives count to worth something seems to be up to Our own performance, that's how things in life work, right? Based on how you perform is what happens to you, good or bad. So that promotion at work happens because you did well. You make it big in the music industry because you were discovered, but you worked very hard. You get your chance uh, to go and feed the hungry and you get to actually do it. That's something you desire. And you want your kids to grow up great and you see them grow up and live lives for Christ. You say, yes, my existence is real. I am here and I have made a difference. You know, I don't think this is a better example that we can find anywhere other than uh, Rocky Balboa. Okay, I'm a huge Rocky fan. Love Rocky. And here's the way that you can know if you're a, a big, true Rocky fan. Number one is you take Rocky Five and you throw it in the trash. Okay? When you get the anthology, you take that out and you throw it away. Okay? That's the first way you know that you're a real Rocky fan. Secondly, you know you're a real Rocky fan if you know that Rocky really isn't about the fights as much as it is about Rocky. Especially the first one. It's a story about a guy who everything in life does not work out for him. He is a loser. He is a loan shark. And he's all this time trying to prove his existence. And everything that he tries to do, he fails. And finally, he gets the chance to fight for the heavyweight title. And he doesn't even want to win. This is what he says. He doesn't even want to win. He's not scared about being beat up. But this is what he says on the night before he's about to fight. He's talking to Adrian. He says, I just want to go the distance with Apollo. I just want to go all 15 rounds. No one's ever done that. And if I can do that, then I'll know that I'm not a bum. 
Isn't that what we all want? We want to know that we're not a bum. Right? And in our quest for justification, we try to justify ourselves and make ourselves good in life. But this is not the justification we're talking about this morning. We'll come back to this. But the justification we're talking about this morning is the ultimate justification. And that is to be made right with God. Verse 23 tells us that our sin, our performance, fell short of God's standard. We lacked what it took to meet his standard of perfection. We can't justify ourselves. It has to be done by someone else. But here's some hope this morning. Number two is we can all be made right through faith. We can all be made right through faith. Let's look at verse 22 through 24. Read that with me. Here we go. The righteousness of God through faith In Jesus Christ, for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, there's that word, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So just as there is no distinction being left out in the guilty party that you have fallen short, there's no distinction in the invitation to be made right with God, to be saved. And so as we stand before the justice of peace, we stand there and we wait for the verdict. And in our own strength, the verdict is guilty. But when we place our faith in Jesus, we can hear not guilty. And this is given to us as a free gift. We're taking some students to Chicago next weekend to visit a Moody Bible Institute. And uh, we're taking along with me a guy I always take when I go to Chicago, Zach McGregor. And if you know Zach, he lived in Chicago for a while, went to Moody. This guy loves the city of Chicago. Okay, like you tell him you want to go to Chicago, he's like, I'm in. Right? And then he'll come up to you and do these little things and walk up and go, shut down, baby. You excited? You ready to go? Because this guy, he knows Chicago. And one time I was there with him and he took us into the library. And he says, I want to show you one of the world's largest Tiffany domes. We have a picture of that, this beautiful dome, the light shining through, it's just magnificent. He takes us into the first floor of the library, and we look up at this dome. And there's, there's a couple of us there, and we're all just in awe, thinking, wow, that is majestic, right? And we're taking out our phones, and we're taking pictures and sending them back to people and saying, check out this dome, it's awesome. And we're just all in awe of this. And then Zach comes walking over real cool-like, and he says, do you want to see the big one now? <laughs> like, this isn't the big one? Oh, no, the big one's back there. And he takes us back around the corner, and we see... This one that far exceeds the first one. It's wonderful. It's magnificent. This Tiffany Dome. And this is a lot like justification. And that just when we think we get it. Just when we think, wow, this is phenomenal. It gets better. And really that's the case as you further get to know Christ in anything. So you're like, this is Phenomenal. This is outstanding. As you get to know him more, it's like, this is even better than I could have dreamed. Because here at justification, many of us have heard the definition justification just as if I had never sinned. 
Well, that's a, a fun way to remember uh, justification, but it's a really bad definition. Okay, so get that thought out of your mind because it's so much better than that. Having your sins forgiven by God is just the tip of the iceberg of justification. God doesn't actually just take your sins away, but he gives you a status that you did not have before. So it is better than him just saying, you're not guilty, you're free to go. But he actually declares you righteous. You go from being completely guilty, not to being neutral, but to being completely right before God. And when you think about the usual judge, right, he throws down his uh, gavel, says not guilty. He picks up his things and walks out. That's not what happens in justification. What happens when you are justified, when you are declared righteous? The judge declares you righteous. He walks down from his stand. And he comes and gives you a hug. And as he pushes his head against his chest, he says, I love you. You've been made right with me. And then he brings you back, and then he, he takes off his robe, and he puts it on you. And then he calls the president from backstage, and he gives you the Congressional Medal of Honor. And then he says, you're not just going to go home tonight. You're going to come. I'm building an addition out of my house, and it's going to be yours. You're going to live with me. You're going to eat steak at my table tonight. And my inheritance is yours. And we are so undeserving of this. But this is what justification is. And it's all by grace. It's a free gift to all who believe. But you have to receive it. You have to acknowledge that you're a sinner. You have to come unto the Lordship of Christ and, and believe in him as your substitute. Well, let's look at how this, uh, this salvation is offered through a substitute. Number three, salvation is offered through a substitute. Verses 25 and 26. Whom God, that being Jesus, put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So it has been questioned, and maybe you have thought this yourself, how does God forgive a sinner and not punish him? That's not what a good judge does, right? A good judge does not let the criminal go without serving his punishment. And not only is this wrong from a human perspective, but definitely from a godly perspective. How does a loving God forgive sinners, but still remain true to his holiness at the same time? Well, the answer is through a substitute. A sin and wrath bearer in the place of the sinner. And that is why he says that he put forth Jesus as a propitiation. That's one of those big words. Some of you like big words. Some of you are not. 
Let's define it because you really need to understand what this word means, okay? Propitiation is a wrath-absorbing sacrifice that turns wrath into favor. Listen to this quote by uh, Dr. Piper. He says this, Since God is completely just, he doesn't sweep sins under the rug of the universe, but has a holy wrath against them. To leave sin unpunished would not be just. So we have broken God's law. We have come, not even come close to living up to his standard. And Romans 1.18 says the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness. And God must take care of this wrath. He can't let the sinner go unpunished. And God, the Father, has been waiting for this moment. He has been storing up his holy wrath against former sins. Okay, before someone, before Jesus came, people sinned, right? Well, God, if they had faith in the one that was to come, forgave those sins. But up until this moment, God was holding back or storing up his wrath, storing back the anger that he had over these sins. He hated it. But here was the day he knew that Jesus himself would come and die. And so he is able to forgive sins in the past and the present and also have his wrath, his holy anger satisfied at the same time. Remember, propitiation is a wrath-absorbing sacrifice. So when Jesus died on the cross, he not only took care of sins, but he also satisfied God's wrath. And here's how it worked. As Jesus hung on the cross, God turned his anger away from humanity and unleashed his wrath upon his son. It was turned away from you and I. The sins of the past, ours that we commit now and in the future, were turned away. The punishment was then given to Jesus so that we weren't punished for the sins that we committed, but Jesus was punished for our sins. Until he cried, it is finished. All I've come to do, I've taken the sins of the world and I have absorbed God's wrath. I didn't just cancel it, but completely took it away. And so God is just and also the justifier. That is how he is just because sin does not go unpunished. But we also see his love on display at the cross as perfect justice and the perfect love meet in the death of Christ. And this is ours if we believe in the substitute of the Son. This is our God. This is massive. This is huge. This is beyond anything that we could ever comprehend or imagine that God himself came And took our punishment. The one that we deserve to bear. Says I'm going to take your place. He is good. And so how do we come to be made right with God? Well believing in the substitute. I often say. And I I borrowed this from somebody else. But we can sum up the gospel in four words. Jesus 
in my place. Jesus in your place, first of all, because he takes your sins away and gives you his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is called the great exchange, where God takes everything wrong and evil about us and puts it on himself And then takes everything wonderful and beautiful and perfect about himself and then gives it to us. Secondly, he takes our place by bearing God's wrath. As we just talked about, he turns, God turns, he tur- through his death, he turns away God's wrath from us. We don't be, are no longer objects of God's wrath, but objects of his love and his affection. And this is true for those who have faith in Jesus. Paul says, this is true for those who have faith in Christ. It's not true for those who do not. This can all be yours simply by believing in the substitute. That Jesus took my place. Verse 27. Then what becomes a boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of love? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. So Paul asks, so where can you boast? What do you have left at all to brag about? And he answers the question. He says, nothing. Nothing of, none of this is done by you. It was all a work of God. You did not add at all to your salvation or anything else in life. It was all done by God. So let me just give you some five application points as we think about justification, being declared righteous. How does this affect me this week? Well, number one, you can't compare yourself to anyone else. He didn't save you because you're lovely. He saved you to make you lovely. He didn't look at you and go, man, that guy's really cool. If I save him, then people will think Christianity is awesome. Well, that's not what God did. Each and every one of us were dead in our sins. He breathed life into our corpse and brought us back to life again. So we have nothing. We can't compare to anyone else, because we were all came to Christ in the same way. None of us were ever deserving. We can't compare ourselves to anyone else. It's kind of like a middle schooler that brags to his other friend that he has armpit hair before him. It's silly, right? Maybe I just hear this because I'm a youth pastor. I hear this argument, right? It's like, do you realize what you're arguing? It's not like you thought hard and then all of a sudden you got armpit hair. Right? It just happened to you. You had nothing to do with that. And we had nothing to contribute to our salvation. All we contributed was our own sin. And Jesus took care of that. Number two, you can live in light of how God sees you. You can stop living guilty if you are in Christ. You can come on Sunday morning and sing out no matter what your performance was like that week. I mean, how many of you have been here before? I have. You had a great week, right? 
And so you're like, man, I said no to sin this week. I did phenomenal. So when it comes to worship time, it's like, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Man, I had a great week this week. Then the next week's totally different. I struggled this week. I gave in to temptation. I sinned. And so I I come to, to church on Sunday morning and here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. You've been there before, right? But when we see how, how God sees us, he declares us righteous, makes us his son, we're clothed in his righteousness. We say, you know, on my best days, I'm no more justified than I was on my worst days. And because you are declared righteous, because you've been freed of guilt and you have right standing with God, let that motivate you to pursue holiness, right? It's not a license, okay, cool, now I can do whatever I want, but it is a motivator. to. I want to live out of gratitude, not out of guilt, and I want to please my Savior because he looks at me perfectly. Thirdly, you're free to fail because God is your justification. You're free to fail. Now, we, we don't like to fail, do we? I mean, there's nobody that sets out on something and goes, I'm going to fail in this, and I'm going to enjoy it, right? Nobody enjoys that. But when it happens, it's okay. Because it's not your job that justifies you. It's not your kids. It's not your cool clothes. It's not what you do, your performance that validates your existence. It's God. So when those disappointments come, you can look at it and say, hey, this is devastating. I don't enjoy it, but this is not where my true validation is found. It's by Christ that I am right with God, that I rejoice that my name is written in the book of life. Number four, justification this week helps you not to lose your awe. Remember the Tiffany Dome? The workers in the library stop noticing that after a little while, right? They walk under it, and they, the janitor's not changing the trash and stopping and going, oh, it's unbelievable. He keeps going, right? No. After a while, he gets used to it. Maybe you've been in the faith for a while, and you've lost your awe. You've walked under the dome of the cross, and it's just like, yeah, that's really neat. When we walk under the shadow of the cross, it should be joy that my Savior took away my sin and bore my wrath and sees me perfect. It helps us when we keep that in the forefront of our minds and we remind each other of this. It helps us to keep our awe for the wonderful Savior. Number five, respond in belief. Respond in belief. Admit that you're a sinner. Place your faith in Christ. That's the only way you're made right with him. Acknowledge, Jesus, you took my place. You bore my wrath because if you don't, John 3.36 says this, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son does not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. 
If Jesus is not your substitute, you do not have life. And God's anger, his wrath over your sin, remains on you. And you will go to hell. If unless Jesus is your substitute. And so maybe you're here this morning and, and uh, you've got it all. You have all the books of the Bible memorized. You even know how to spell Zephaniah. You've got it all together. But you're missing the one thing that you lack. Just like I was missing that computer bag, what I really needed. You're missing that one thing. You're not right with God. You've had a great upbringing. You've said all the right things. But you've never trusted in Jesus. You've never had Jesus take your place. Search your heart. Is that you today? And then there's others of you that this is completely new to you. Like, I've never heard this stuff before. Maybe I've been hearing it the last couple of weeks. But he says that justification, being right with God, is a gift. When I was growing up, um, on our birthday, our family would bring us breakfast in bed. And they'd usually give us some kind of small gift. And I'd eat my breakfast. There's usually a cream-filled long john and something else. But I never, when I was about ready to open the gift, did I ever say, I need to go shower first and make sure that I'm clean before I open this gift. It didn't matter if I was dirty, if I had bad breath or body odor from the night before. It did not change what that gift was, whether I was dirty or clean. So if you are here and you don't know Christ, you do not have to clean yourself up to receive this gift. You can never do good enough. It is a gift. It's, It's unmerited favor. It's all by grace. Come to Jesus. Let him clean you up. He's the only one who can. Let's pray. Oh, the depths of the riches of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways. Oh, that is so true, God. We do not understand why a God who is holy would come and also be loving not he would also be just, but also provide the means for justification through Jesus. We don't get that. I don't understand why you would come to die for me. I'm a wretch. I'm disgusted. I'm filthy. I've done so many wrong things. But I can be right with you just by believing in you. God, may we not lose our awe. May we remind each other when we walk out the door in the morning to go to work, when we go to school whatever that might be, God, that we, in your eyes, are declared righteous. We have a status now that we did not have. We are citizens of the King. We are children of God if we know you. God, I pray for those that are here this morning, though, that uh, they're thinking, I've, I've got to clean up. Somehow I've got to make my existence count. And yet, missing the most important thing. Knowing God. May they come to know you today. Repent, turn from their sins, and believe in the gospel. The good news that God came not to justify the people that had everything together, but to justify the ungodly.
And by this we know love, that you laid down your life. God's very own son came from heaven to die. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.